Welcome to A Matter of Principles, a podcast of the Association of Washington School Principals. Hello, everyone. I'm Jack Arend, Associate Director with the Professional Learning Team here at AWSP. We are excited to bring you Inclusion 360, a special podcast series that will bring the inclusion discussion full circle. Inclusion 360 is the culminating event wrapping up our year of learning, exploring, and implementing inclusionary best practices and diving deep into how to be an inclusionary leader. This work has been made possible by a generous grant from OSPI. Our AWSP team has assembled some of the most dynamic and sought-after inclusion experts in the country to bring you this special six-episode series. This podcast series will feature Ladera Horn, Keith Jones, Dan Habib, Lauren Katzman, Alfredo Artiles, and Glenna Gallo. And that's not all. On May 10th, you can meet this amazing team of experts for a free live webinar. You do not want to miss this event, so go to our website and register for the Inclusion 360 live webinar. For now, enjoy this podcast series. Um, well, welcome, and uh, Glenna Gallo is here with us today, and she's the Assistant Superintendent for Special Education at OSPI, and we're just going to go ahead and jump right into some questions today. So welcome, Glenna. We're real excited to have you. Um, so one of the things that we've been wondering is, how do school leaders support inclusionary practices? You know, school leaders play, I think, a key point around inclusionary practices. They are truly ground zero for any initiative. And they're also key partners for inclusionary practices by setting the tone and the expectations for all school staff. What we know is that unless something is endorsed, supported, and encouraged by school principals, it tends to fade away quickly. And so as something as important as inclusionary practices and the impact that it has for everyone involved, not only the students with disabilities, but the educators, the leaders, and the families and communities that are around, we really need school principals to be aware of inclusionary practices, embed those throughout their school, and then encourage and sustain those practices as they make other changes and improvements. So really what you're naming is really establishing that culture and the systems and learning around that as a lead learner. Definitely. Yeah. So what data can school leaders use to monitor the decisions that impact inclusion for students in their school? I know that school leaders have a, a plethora of data um, that can be used. And one of the things about data is that we can go crazy with it, right? We can get too much data and we can go down rabbit holes um, that really don't lead to improvements. So we wanna be careful of that. One of the key pieces of data that I think are really useful are least restrictive environment data that are collected and submitted to OSPI and that OSPI reports to the US Department of Ed annually. We also post those online on the special ed webpage at OSPI so that they're easily available for use by uh, districts, by schools, and by others with any interest. Um, they also also want 
to look at other building level data that they have, uh, discussions that teams have, decisions that are made by teams, and their strategic goals and sorry school improvement plans um, are going to be important components of this. One of the things that I think is most helpful is really digging into decisions made by IEP teams. So if they look at course taking patterns, uh, how students are assigned to specific teachers, how the master schedule is set up, all of that is going to paint a really clear picture of whether the school is truly inclusive or whether there's areas that still need some further attention and possible improvements. Great. I know data is always one of those things that as a school leader, you're trying to figure out which points. And so I appreciate you naming, you know, specifically some to really um, leverage. So in terms of um, kind of understanding the pretext, right, of um, in, uh, special ed, what have we learned from historical civil rights actions that impact how we provide special education services today as we as well into, as into the future? I think we have to remember that students with disabilities didn't have the rights that they do today under IDA until 1975, which is when the first Education for the Handicapped Act was passed. Prior to that, students with disabilities weren't guaranteed enrollment in school. They weren't guaranteed a public education. Um, and a lot of times they were kept out of school or kept in overly restrictive settings. Um, if they received public education at all. We've made a lot of changes and improvements since 1975. And when you think about the length of time involved, it really is a tremendous uh, improvement. And we put in place lots of protections and ways that we can look at how to include students with disabilities meaningful in our general education settings. One of the things that I think we have to be really careful about though is how we perceive the abilities of students with disabilities and how we make decisions that impact them. I always find it really impactful to think about uh, decisions that we're making around students with disabilities and replace it with another protected class. So if we're saying students with disabilities can't, what if we replace students with disabilities with another protected class, such as students of color? Would we say students of color can't be expected to graduate with a regular high school diploma? Students of color shouldn't be expected to attend or participate in honors classes, right? And it just kind of helps us give another framework to something that we may unconsciously, that unconscious bias that we may sometimes set limitations for students with disabilities. We also know that of the 150,000 students with disabilities enrolled in public ed in Washington, that the majority of them have a typical IQ and should be involved in all of the opportunities that any other student has. For students that have more significant cognitive disabilities, we have alternate achievement standards, and we also know that they also are capable of learning. So we don't want to go in and artificially create barriers, which is what happened historically. This is also a really good opportunity for us to take the lessons that we've learned during the COVID-19 pandemic and really make sure that we don't go backwards. We were able to make really rapid change uh, as a result of COVID. 
period. And we wanna make sure that we maintain the positives of those changes and don't go back to a system that was failing students with disabilities just because we're returning to our normal as we're vaccinated, as we're returning to in-person education. So thinking about that, can, can you think of an example of something that um, has really stood out that people have done in times COVID times that you're like, this is really what we're talking about. Yes. So there have been so many positive examples. We've really uh, leveraged assistive technology. And while assistive technology has always been a part of the IDEA, well, I say always, but I mean, most recently in the last 15 years or so, uh, it's not something that we traditionally saw many IEP teams consider the need for students with disabilities. Well, in this time of needed remote instruction, we really were able to dig into accessible assistive technology. And we had the Special Ed Technology Center uh, come out with resources that IEP teams and districts could use as they switched to remote learning that really made um, assistive technology useful, it was cheap, it was engaging, and it met students' needs. It would be nice, even as we return to in-person settings, to see that heavy focus on assistive technology. Really, that's the wave of the future, right? We're all walking around with phones, with uh, little devices that are helping us remember things and do things. And we shouldn't be embedding that in the instruction that we're providing for students with disabilities on a daily basis. We also use that technology to really include students with disabilities in general ed instruction during the pandemic. And so even as we return back to in-person instruction, it would be nice to have IEP teams and uh, experts in schools really consider how to continue using those devices to increase access to non-disabled peers and core uh, grade level standards based instruction. I know um, I absolutely love that and agree completely. Uh, it's been fascinating to watch how um, teams have shifted and really adapted to that. And you, you don't want that to go away. So I'm yeah. so glad you highlighted that example. So I have a couple of questions of my own that I was thinking about. And one is just kind of on a personal nature um, during these times, like what's on your nightstand right now? What are you reading or learning about that has just really been intriguing? Oh my goodness. So I have a couple books uh, that are right here next to me. Uh, <laughs> That I'm look that I'm reading right now. Uh, the first one is so you want to talk about race, mm. um, and I don't know if it'll show up. No, nope, not really. There. We oh, go. there you go. <laughs> uh, with the background, so you want to talk about race, and I'm doing a book study uh, with this book on with my team at OSPI in the special ed division. Um, and so this has been really helpful, getting us to really look at intersectionality between disability and race, um, as well as equity. Um, and so uh, that's one of my favorites. The other one that uh, I'm looking at right now is a uh, Harvard Business Press Review book, and it's called Good Charts. Tips, tools, and exercises for making better data visualizations. Uh, because really, uh, at the core of it, I am a giant data nerd, and I'm always <laughs> looking uh, for ways to use data effectively. Um, 
and get people to use data for decision making. Um, you know, I was a transplant in from Utah. And one of the things that I was asked, you know, four years ago when I first came to the state is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do here? Are you going to take the, the things that were successful in Utah and are you going to to replicate them in Washington. Um, and what I kept saying was, I don't know, what does Washington need? Washington is a different place. We have different data. We have different stakeholders, right? And so it, it isn't about just replicating something that's been done somewhere else. It's about identifying uh, the needs of our state and addressing them. Um, and I think we've done a really good job with that, uh, with our inclusionary practices focus, our look at equity, um, and our graduation pathways. Um, and so uh, just looking to see how we can do that more. Uh, wasn't prepared for that one at all, Chris. <laughs> I had to throw that in there because I figured you probably had something next to you that you've been uh, reading and learning as I think all of us do. <laughs> Definitely. Um, it's funny, I have a whole stack across the room of what I'm gonna get to next when I have when I have a chance. And so that stack, uh, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, Range, uh, Tell Me Who You Are, and Upstream. Oh, um, yeah, you got some, I have some, I call it my dreaming stack because I haven't quite gotten there yet, you know, um, yeah. trying to finish up some things for um, some grant work and then, you know, maybe address, um, for my doctorate. So once once June hits, I'm really looking forward to it. So now you've given me a few to go go do and find. So thank well, you. I have to tell you, if you haven't read Range yet, uh, I would definitely recommend it. It's sitting in my to read again pile, and it's mm -hmm. talking about um, how being a generalist and being able to know lots about multiple things is could be more productive um, than being a specialist and only knowing about certain things. And um, I'm really intrigued by this concept, especially, I mean, specially designed instruction. It's all about being a specialist. Um, but I think that there's some key nuggets in there that really will help us support inclusionary practices, right? It, this, this understanding and um, higher expectations and growth mindset and getting other people to really own uh, the results and the outcomes of students with disabilities. So I encourage that one if you haven't read it. I, I'm going to write that down right now because I, I'm really interested that as we have been unpacking um, UDL and thinking about that and um, what what does that really mean? It's funny on my, I was just gonna say, I'll, I'll share one. So I've been, we've been working with Shelly Moore. So One Without the Other is her book and have read that. So if you haven't had a chance, that one is a really good quick read, but it's all told through story. And one of the things that I've been kind of, um, not grappling with, but just thinking deeply around is kind of this shift from um, this idea of presuming competence um, to presuming potential. And this idea of if we presume everyone has potential, then mm -hmm. we're right, we're going to be teaching if everyone can get to that goal. And we're saying we're presuming that they have potential to do it, then we're going to design to make that happen. Um, because sometimes okay. when we say presume competence, mm -hmm. people think they don't need to be taught. So there was this, this kind of a framing. So that I'm still wrapping my brain around on that one a little bit. And she and I have been having a little conversation around that shift because presumed competence to me means everyone can. Um, yeah. And that 
And she's like, yes, and some people, when when you're out there saying that, they assume they don't need to teach it. And everyone needs to, like when you design something, right? Um, anyways, so we, we've been shifting around with some language and, and this book has been a, just a really quick one to do and it, a great one to start teams with that is kind of, kind of the zero entry pool. <laughs> Um, you know, everyone can access it um, and, and kind of relate to some of the things in it in the little stories that she tells. So great. Great. Will you send me that info? Yeah. The, yeah. The, not the book. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have one last question for you. So um, with our time today. So what's one piece of advice that you would give to school leaders that are just starting out on this inclusion journey? Oh, wow, that's um, that's a tough one. Um, so uh, I would say be brave. Be brave, dig into it. Don't be afraid that be if you don't know something, ask questions, get input from lots of different people that is a relatively new field. It just started, you know, really strongly in 1975. And so depending upon where people are in their career path, their experiences, uh, they have lots of different uh, viewpoints to share. And so I would ask questions, really have open conversations and dialogues, examine biases um, that may be spoken or unspoken, and look at the data to see what's really happening. What are the outcomes for your students with disabilities? Um, depending on what level you're at, that data, we've talked about it, right? LRE data. Um, but what we haven't talked about is student outcomes. And so we're lucky enough to have survey data a year after students with disabilities leave school that talks about whether they're enrolled in post-secondary education, getting training, or um, you know, have found a career. And um, unfortunately, those data in Washington are not the strongest. And we're only looking about uh, one in four students with disabilities who have uh, gone on um, strongly a year after leaving school. And so, you know, look at the data that are available, have those conversations, ask tough questions, and don't be afraid to voice disagreement with the status quo. Um, it's going to take all of us together being uncomfortable. That's what equity work is about. Um, but it's truly why we went into this field, right, is to make a difference in the lives of students. Um, and so go forth and do the best that you can. And when you know better, do better. I love that. And I think that's something, you know, just that, that call to be brave, right, and have those conversations. So I just thank you so much for your time and, and your voice in this work and, and the work that you are doing and um, visioning forward for us as a state um, and leading for equity and inclusion um, at such a large level. And so we just thank you for all that you do and bring to Washington um, in leading that charge. Well, thank you so much. And AWSP is such a valuable partner in this work. And we appreciate what you're doing um, and the leadership that you and your school principals uh, show around this area. So thank you. Absolutely. Want some support with your inclusionary practices work? 
Head to our website, awsp.org, where you will find a ton of resources, many of which were talked about in this podcast. You will find on-demand courses, videos to watch with your staff, workshops, articles, podcasts, and more. Can't find what you're looking for? Please reach out to us and we'll be happy to help. How about some professional learning that's relevant and fun? At AWSP, we believe adult learning should be fun and engaging, just like it should be for the students in your building. We promise to never deliver death by PowerPoint and bore you with sit and get learning. You know, a good friend of mine said, professional learning equals self-care. And self-care, that's how you get your power back. So at AWSP, we are all about supporting you and partnering with you on your professional leadership development. You know, one size doesn't fit all. So we provide a number of different ways for principals, assistant principals to stay sharp and improve their skills. We offer content for interns, assistant principals, and principals in all stages of their career. We do that in person when we can, and of course, online. From our cohort-based launching school leadership and building effective leadership networks to our video workshops, we've got something bound to be right up your alley. Visit our website for more information on engaging and dynamic professional learning. This series has been made possible through a generous grant from the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction Inclusionary Practices Project. We hope you've enjoyed this special podcast series on inclusionary practices for the school leader. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time.